You're listening to Are You Happy Business Podcast on Captivate. Hello, Are You Happy Podcast. I'm here with Jen and Ed Coleman. Really happy to meet you both. You guys have built a personal brand traveling around the world, making money doing it. I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about how that makes you happy and how you travel and how you make money traveling and all that sort of jazz. Can you take it away and just let me know how you guys got into this? So we got into this looking for life 2.0. I've had uh, 20 years in the uh, drudgeries of a corporate office and really wanted to go out and, and get out and experience new things in life. And Jen was a professional skier and her knees gave out and she was forced into the office for the first time. It's like, whoa, yeah, I got new knees, but this this isn't the life I want. So we're trying to find a way to yeah, go out, live the life 2.0, travel experience and adventure first and see the world in ways that we've never seen it before. That's incredible. And Jen, what's your side of the story? Same, same. You know, basically, I spent my whole life in adventure travel. I taught skiing and pro ski patrolled for over 20 years. I was planning on becoming a helicopter skiing guide, but unfortunately, terrible genetics got in the way. And in the meantime, with the terrible genetics and a way to keep my longevity going, I got into personal training and massage therapy. And doing those things not only gave me an excellent career that I could do in the office, season and to supplement my income because you don't get paid amazingly while working at ski resort. So it was a great way to supplement income and keep myself chugging. And I managed to to ski 10 more years than the doctors thought would even be physically possible. So I was pretty proud of that. But by the time that I had to get my knees replaced, I knew I needed to buckle down and get a corporate job with benefits because new knees are real expensive. (laughs) And so I basically stalked the websites of all the top resort spas in the world. And I wanted to go somewhere that they were building a new spa because it's very tough as a massage therapist to get benefits unless you are a lead. So that was kind of the goal. And I needed to go somewhere where there wasn't any snow because that was just way too depressing for me. So turns out that the very first place that that was opening up somewhere hot and sunny was the Ritz-Carlton in Tucson, Arizona. So I moved out there sight unseen scene to put myself in place to get the position. And thankfully for me, everything worked out as I had hoped it would. And I managed to work my way into a lead position. And in the meantime, while I was there, I got, I managed to get my two new knees and I met Ed here. So I got a new husband out of the deal too. So all in all, it worked out pretty dang well. That's great. I feel like some of the happiest people I've met have had setbacks like you have where you hurt your knees and you couldn't do what you had been doing your whole life. And then now you're on this journey traveling the world and and with Ed. Yeah, definitely the ups and downs is definitely th- uh, the common thread that I've seen between some of the happiest people. Would you say you're happy right now? Are you happy? The, the magic question. <laughs> I would say, yes, I'm definitely happy. Um, we definitely are working towards, you know, being more happy. I think right now we've kind of gotten a place in our business where we are so incredibly busy that we really need to scale, but we're not quite at the level financially to be able to scale. So right now we're kind of, you know, nose to the grindstone, you know, until we can just sort of like meet that new threshold where we can really scale and that'll take some of the pressure off of us so that that way we can work less hours, (laughs) more reasonable hours and have even more time to really, you know, get out and enjoy life. That's awesome. And then I'm curious to learn a little bit more about how you were able to gain your social media audience. Was it one post that just went very viral? 
or how you've been chipping away at it and get, and working for those followers really hard? Chipping away at it for years and years and years. I mean, it's taken seven years to build ourselves up to the level that we are now. And it's been real slow. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, cause I keep track of social media too, obviously. Are you happiest four million followers on TikTok? I keep track of it. And I feel like being the person that chips away at it, those people tend to build a stronger, tight-knit audience, people that actually care about what you're saying. So it's like all those whatever 30,000 followers. Yeah, you might have like it might have taken long to get them, but you actually work for those people. They they like everything you have to say and they're in it for the long haul. So those people that went viral off of like one post and got millions of followers might not necessarily have as strong an audience as you do. Ed, would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and what you believe to be the key to happiness? So interesting thing about myself is I'm a physicist currently working in the space program. Not many bloggers, physicists are out there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the key to happiness is really being able to pursue your joy, you know, identify and pursue your joy because there's a lot of lifestyle architecture. It doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen because you're not sad. Happiness is something that I think you have to go out. You have to identify what makes you happy and build it piece by piece, brick by brick. And at the end, you're like, ah, oh, this, this is a house of happiness that I built. That's incredible. I saw you do a little bit of bike bicycling, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm getting to think of thinking about hobbies right now. Obviously, I'm young and I just recently got into pickleball and I feel like I could do it my whole life. It's such a fun sport. Have you been a cyclist your whole life? How do you feel about hobbies, switching hobbies, looking into new things? I've always had soccer. But I don't know about some of the other stuff. How do you feel about getting into new hobbies, getting into new things? Is there something you want to try that you haven't? Just anything on the topic of hobbies. Well, the topic of hobbies, I, I have a really interesting belief on this and that you have to try to cycle through your hobbies. And there's, you know, for one thing, just getting into uh, a, hockey, a hobby, maybe more complex than soccer or pickleball, but like biking or caving or scuba diving, there's a big you know, capital investment to get all the gear and to get your training and all of that. And you can only maintain like one or two sets of gears. So I think that being able to switch between your passions is super important so you can have your gear current and active and ready to go and not, you know, just be shuffling and chugging gear your whole uh, your whole life. And the other thing is that there's the Pareto principle, right? The 80-20 rule, where you can provide 20% of the effort and get 80% of the return. And for hobbies, this means as you start a new hobby, right? And as soon as you get to this massive slope of returns where you start to get good at it, you start to have your gear tuned. Yes, there's a tremendous joy in building up that hobby. And then at the top of that curve, right, you're giving 80% of your effort to get the final 20% of your results. And that's you know, chugging, that's frustrating, right? And you you wind up where if you take any time off of your primary habit, you will have decayed right back onto the, you know, the sweet spot of the curve from those incremental gains that you made, right? If you're, there's a time where as a rock climber, taking a few weeks off, right? You just, you lost the skills and you put on, and it was just, you know, getting up to that elite level where you're, I would say, climbing above 510, 5'11", right? It's, you have to always be working uh, to get to that level. But, you know, going from 5'6 to 5'9", that's, you know, that's a month or two in the gym and you're, you're feeling great. It's massive, re, uh, massive return on investment. So 
I believe there's an important um, aspect of cycling through your hobbies. So you have, yeah, you have the ones that you like and you all, you're finding joy from discovery or rediscovery and that your your gear is fresh and uh, high quality. It's a very interesting take on it. I also was a, a rock climber. I did rock climbing for a little while. And I feel like I definitely resonate with your, what you're saying about the returns. Like when you're first getting into it, I feel like there's a lot of return. You're putting 20% of the effort and you're getting 8% return, right? That, is that the math? Yeah. When I first started rock climbing, I was stressed out at the time. I was anxious and I was like, you know what? You know what rock climbing does for me? is it makes me focus on one task at one time and there's like no other thing I have to do like I'm on the wall and like it's just me in the wall and it just helps get your mind off of things but I feel like with any hobby that I get into the, the second I start to get competitive with the people around me especially if it's an individual sport then I kind of lose that that passion lose that flair because then you start to compare yourself or whatever but when I started rock climbing and realized I enjoyed it I tried to keep my keep a tunnel vision on like this is my hobby. This is just a hobby. This is just for fun. I want to improve for myself. And I feel like when I started comparing or trying to get too competitive, that's when I started to like play, like not do it as much. How do you feel about that piece and in like individual sports and the concept of like wanting to be elite? But obviously, I feel like everybody has that desire to want to be a professional athlete or maybe an, a musical artist. They want to be on that stage. They want to be known for something. But also, it's feel like it's human nature to want to jump around to different hobbies. But the uh, the desire to be elite is really pervasive, right? The, everybody talks about sports, you know, wanting to find the champion and the victor, and you know, this whole single uh, focus on you know being the one best. But you know, there's always seems to be kind of the uh, the tallest midget uh, contest, yeah. right? Because you're you know you're always in a bracket and especially as I got into uh, sports with consequences, right? Like uh, endurance hiking or caving, right? That, you know, you really had a, uh, you know, or even even climbing, uh, especially if you're on something multi-pitch and you, you need to get up that rope to you know, get off the mountain. There are people who are just better than you and they're going to be better than you in this one aspect, right? They they're, have better physicality. They work at it harder. This is their their one life passion, you know, they they have a body for climbing. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm six, six, one, two, 20. That's a lot of weight to haul up a wall. Yeah. These guys who are, you know, 145, you know, six, four, 145, they just scamper up the wall like a spider. There's always going to be these crazy people out there and you just have to enjoy your activity for you and, you know, the joy it brings for you. And, uh, you know, just, just really make it about your experience and not um, a relative experience. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree with all of that. I definitely resonate with that. I feel like it's in our nature to want to be the best. Like you go out, like I feel like you're always pulled a little bit. Maybe it's just me, but to want to be want to be that elite level. But people that are at that elite level have been doing it their whole life since they were a kid most of the time and just been working at it and working at it and working at it. And I feel like there's even some challenges with that. Like, I feel like it's human nature to want to be everywhere. I want to be wild and free spirited. And to the person that's been like playing basketball their whole life, every day, hours every day, I feel like that's kind of difficult and it's a challenge. But maybe for some, for some people who are able to do it, maybe it's truly their passion and that's all they have. And they want to just do that all day. Aside from the topic of hobbies, I want to get into a little bit of your travel experiences because you have a lot of expertise in that realm. Do you have any hacks, for lack of a better word, on how to travel cheaply? 
We have a few, although our one of our best hacks now, it seems like the two websites that we use have sort of overhauled things a little bit. Yeah. Um, so one of the, the hacks we used to use a lot for accommodations is both Hotwire and Priceline have got these secret hotels, if you will, that, you know, if you book them, they're non-refundable. So you have to be sure you're booking them. But, you know, they don't tell you what hotel it is, but they give you hints like how many miles from this landmark and how many stars and how many reviews. And so what I would do typically if I was looking to book something cheaply is I would go in and, you know, get narrow down the search as much as possible. And then, you know, write down kind of those stats of the secret hotels and then go and look at the main list of like hotels that are not secret. And you can pretty easily match up which one of the secret hotel stats match the other one. And so you can actually book a hotel, you know, for up to 60% below rack rate doing it that way. Cause those secret deals are amazing, but lately they've changed the website a little bit where sometimes they'll only see show you the secret deals and you have to go in maybe in a different browser and look at the regular ones and then try to compare. It's not as easy. I think they've gotten onto people doing that. <laughs> And, and my hack is to pregame. I've gone out with so many backpacker budget travelers, right? They're staying in a hostel and, uh, you know, they're taking trains across the country. And all of a sudden you wind up at the bar and they put run up a $60, $100 uh, liquor bill. So, <laughs> yeah, the, the power of pregame. If you, if, you want, if you want your three drinks in to be social for the night. <laughs> so true. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we all we all have these like all right let's get the cheapest flight let's get the cheapest thing and then you get there and then you like spend the eighty dollars at the bar and then it's like there's your one hundred seventy dollar flight now it's two hundred fifty absolutely also it it tends to be um always go in through a private browser because a lot of times the airlines and hotels will keep cookies on you and then when you come back it's actually more so you know making sure that you're always searching through private browsers really good. And sometimes if you have a VPN, you can actually try going in from other countries. We actually stumbled upon that when we were trying to bring Ed's youngest daughter out from California to Orlando for spring break. And all the flights were like $600, $800. And her roommate at college went in through his VPN and searched from Spain. And when he was searching from Spain, he managed to get the exact same flight, exact same airplane, everything, but he got it for $400 for her. Because wow. of the Spanish spring break uh, uptick. Yeah. Wow. And the same, same thing's true if you're booking hotels or cars or activities and you're in-country. If it looks like, uh, you know, there's in-country pricing and out-of-country pricing, and if it looks like you're browsing from in-country, there's a... There's different uh, rates sometimes. Absolutely. We we booked a car in Mexico um, from the U.S. And it was not bad. I mean, I think it was like 20 or $30 a day. And then we gave it back and we didn't think we were going to need another car. And we ended up needing another one while we were there. We went in, you know, from Mexico and managed to book a car for 25 cents a day. Like we did not even know, think it was real. And a lot of times they'll get you on car rent with, you know, wanting to purchase the extra insurance. So if you have a really good travel credit card, like we use Chase Sapphire, which gives you free um, auto insurance, like so like the if you long 
as you're paying with the Sapphire, they'll take care of all the insurance needs. So you never have to buy that extra auto insurance from the car rental place. So that can be huge. And definitely the searching in country. We were on a trip to Sri Lanka and we really wanted to stay at this one hotel, but it was just price prohibitive. So we booked the next best one that was like pretty close by, but we paid up front for the next best one, which we absolutely should not have. Because then when we got in country, we went two hotels down to the hotel that we really wanted to stay in and their prices in country were actually significantly lower than what we were paying for the hotel that we were in. So we could have actually gotten the hotel we wanted for much cheaper if we wouldn't have booked everything so far in advance, if we would have just booked like maybe our first night or two and then kept it open from there to search in country. Or, or perhaps we came in with a VPN that thought we were in Sri Lanka or yep. Hikadua, right? We would have uh, said, oh, you're a Hikadua. I tell you what, you, you can pick any hotel, but pick ours, right? So. Mm. I think there's a lot of pricing schemes out there that want, that uh, favor in-country shopping. Interesting. And perhaps penalize shopping from the United States because they figure we're at a higher uh, a higher uh, um, level. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll charge you uh, gringo pricing. It's it's real. And, and digital gringo pricing is a real thing. Talk about hacks. I, I'm, here, I'm sitting here running these down in my notes the next time I travel. I'm going <laughs> to order on VPN and then look at, do the hot wire and price line hack. I wanted to ask you, what has been the favorite place that you visited, Jen and Ed, and why? I've really adopted a philosophy that my favorite place is the next place I'm going to. I've always been a very chronic non-repeater. You know, it's a big world, you know, long, um, short life, you know. So, you know, why spend all your time going to the same places over and over again? But that being said, I mean, I think my one of my favorite places in the world, like if I right now, if you're going to tell me where am I going to retire and die, it would mm -hmm. probably be Whitefish, Montana. Okay. Absolutely love it there. The skiing is fantastic. You're right near Glacier National Park. It's got a real cool, like quaint, small town mountain vibe going on and just gorgeous, gorgeous place. That's awesome. And for me, there, I have two answers. First answer is Belize, because that's the first place I really traveled to as an adult and uh, picked the place I traveled to. And we did a, a caving expedition. I mapped two kilometers of passage that nobody in the world had seen before uh, before I got there. And there's you know, only a handful of people who have truly seen uh, new places in the world, you know, astronauts and, and me, right? But anyway, the astronauts. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it, you know, there, there's thousands of people, but thousands out of, you know, the billions of people in the world is still a fairly elite club. And then also we just went to Bulgaria last year with a lot of uh, travel indie and, uh, you know, really great um, writing and the, the community aspect of that ski trip to Bulgaria you know, where everything was possible and everybody was infused with so much joy and possibility. And uh, you know, we, we had a guy who, you know, was, oh, hold on, I'm having pirate problems. I'm, I have my crew I'm taking to a desert island. And yeah, so it was, it was awesome. It was just it was a little bit of a character. I, I guess I want to ask this question too. Like, where have you seen some of the best people, like the happiest people? Like, you know, that's kind of trending now with this new pot, this new Netflix documentary, The Blue Zones of Happiness. What place to you had some of the happier people? 
That's actually interesting that you bring that up because that's actually something that we've really discussed a lot as far as our travel style and what we really like. And, you know, everywhere we've gone in the world, there's amazing, lovely, kind, generous people. But we really gravitate more towards joy-based cultures, you know. So, you know, like like Thailand, the land of smiles, you know, everyone's smiley, happy, joyful. You know, you've got Costa Rica and Pura Vida, you know, and, you know, the Latin-based cultures in general are very joyful. And one of the surprising cultures we found was Ireland, because Ireland was never part of uh, the Roman Empire. It never really was, never really was settled with Puritan England. So once you get, you know, the whole Irish countryside, you know, there's a pure joy, you know, the dance, dancing and the Irish pub experience, that that's absolutely real. There's a, was a fascinating, uh, fascinating to find the differences between Ireland versus, you know, the rest of Europe. Absolutely. And I mean, and then you've got other places like, you know, like Sri Lanka, for instance, or Bulgaria, where, man, the people are so kind, they're so generous, they're so open hearted, but it is not a joy based culture. You know, you really feel the oppression, you feel the duty, you know, like, and I mean, duty, like the duty boundness of the classes and that sort of yeah. thing. People aren't, you know, walking down the street smiling and saying hi. Everyone's kind of keeping to themselves. There's not a lot of smiling going on. And sometimes that can be off-putting and you can feel like these people aren't very nice or whatever. You know, you might not be able to, like, even Finland, you know, like, they have such a dry sense of humor. Like, they can, like, be, like, totally harassing you, but with <laughs> a completely straight face and you have no idea that they're doing it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's so it's so interesting to me like the different cultures i've just started traveling mostly this past year and for the first time ever i traveled outside of albania and like within europe because i'm from albania and every the only place in europe i've been to is albania and i went to italy and i was expecting the people to be the same and like i asked a random guy if he can call me a taxi because i didn't have a phone number and he was he wasn't as receptive to it as people in albania were like people in albania are very friendly and if you want them to call you a taxi, they'll call you a taxi. But this this one guy is like not a, not about it, so I have to ask another guy. But, anyways, it's it's been very nice talking to you both. I have one more question, and then I'll be out of your hair. What is the first thing you do when you enter a new city? What is the first thing that we do? Usually, check into our hotel. <laughs> <laughs> what I, I guess another way to ask it is like, what is your favorite part of a city that you go to to get more of a feel for what it's like? Like maybe a bar, or are you more of a coffee shop person? How do you how do you get a feel for a city? What type of things? Um, you- so for me, I I really like to find that one promenade, right? And you know, I had a had an Albanian girlfriend, and she talked about the one park in Trieste, right? And you you go and you. Uh, you go from the park, you know, and so it's the where all the the street art where the there's the you know the people that come in. There's a pedestrian culture, the restaurants, you know, and you just I, I like to walk and I like to get immersed into the the city and just really feel uh, from you know the boots on the ground level the, what the vibe is and how the the smells and sounds and just all the the textual feeling of uh, being in a place that you can't get from you can't get from a book and you can't get from a youtube video you have to be physically there to experience all of the all of the aspects of that that central promenade so true and if you do it i feel like if you do it because i just visited austin with a buddy and we spent most of our time just going to bars coffee shops sleeping in but i feel like if you do it alone you are more 
cognizant of what's going on around you and you can you can notice little things about how other people are acting what the general aura is around you if you're doing it alone I feel like yep yep definitely and I would say for me I try to stay away from cities I'm definitely more of a nature traveler more you know being out you know nature type destinations but if it is a city really love food tours that's a great way to learn the history of a city and find a lot of like the hidden gem places to eat that you might not otherwise otherwise know and you know there's a lot of history and knowledge that's infused within the food of a city that's awesome. And Albania is a great place to go to to get good food and good nature. So I highly recommend. But yeah, it's it's been really nice talking to you both. Thank you so much for being on the Happy Podcast. And yeah, we'll definitely be in touch. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. It was great meeting you and talking to you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.